It's time to breathe new life into the social entrepreneur by empowering you to make a living through fulfilling work that will impact lives. You'll make money, but more importantly, you'll make a difference. Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast. It's time to build a business with purpose. Now here's your host, Adam Force. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your host, Adam Forrest. Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast show. Um, today, we're going to be talking about marketing, but we're going to be talking about marketing from a content standpoint. Um, this ties into storytelling. This ties into branding. Um, the way you do content and approach it matters. It's a really important marketing tool today in the digital environment. So we brought on the uh, content guru. She's built her whole career around doing social impactful content okay so she's been supporting the social change movement um, and social enterprises for years now over a decade um, and her name is Victoria Fine. She's the founder of a company called Finally. Uh, but before that, she was working. Um, she built up the uh, HuffPost Impact uh, Department, the HuffPost Education uh, Space, and she was the first managing editor over at Upworthy. And she was also director of strategy over at a company called Slate. So she has a ton of experience, but not only uh, just a lot of experience, but a different uh, different organizations who had different approaches. So she has a lot of different perspectives as well, which is really important, especially in this content space as it evolves over time. So we're going to talk to Victoria about content strategy and what makes it work and what she has learned over the years about the impact space. Okay. So pay close attention. Hang on for just a minute. We're going to get into that conversation. Um, Just as a reminder, guys, the Jay Shetty edition is out in the app store. So check it out. Go get the Change Creator app. The first seven days are free. You get unlimited access. You can cruise around, see what you like. Um, Then if you love it, and we hope you do, you subscribe and it's only a couple bucks a month, guys. Talking about a price of a cup of coffee each month. And uh, you get millions of dollars worth of valuable valuable, uh, strategies and insights from really great people like Jay Shetty. Uh, So hopefully you check that out. Leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it for the podcast, for the app. Um, And upcoming next to you guys, we do have an interesting rollout. We're going to test this out. So the app will start dripping out some content. We're going to do a series and it's going to be a video marketing guide. So we're going to start trickling out singular pieces of content like sections. Okay. So think of chapters in a book and then each chapter will come out individually. And we're going to start dripping out a uh, video marketing guide for you guys to get some really great insights. So you can start really leaning into the video marketing space because it's so important today. So keep an eye out for that. That'll be coming out soon. All right, guys, without further ado, we're going to dive into this conversation with Victoria. I know you're going to dig this. Hey, Victoria, welcome to the Change Creator Podcast Show, where we are redefining good business. How are you doing today? I'm great, Adam. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Um, listen, I, you know, we've actually spoke a couple times now, so I'm really excited to get to drill you with questions about everything I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to answer them. <laughs> um, so for the listeners, you know, Victoria has a tremendous background um, in the content development and digital strategy world. And uh, Victoria, I'm just going to let you speak to that, you know, instead of me rattling it off. Um, why don't you just give us a little bit about your credentials, what you've done in the past and then how it kind of like got you to where you are today. 
Yeah, of course. So my entire career um, has been focused on uh, creating content for social change and trying to drive companies and people to make uh, more socially conscious decisions. So I fell into that in a variety of ways. But um, some of my background includes uh, being one of the first editors at the Huffington Post, where I started the social impact section there, as well as the education section. Um, When social impact really was uh, just starting to trend about 10 years ago now. Um, I also uh, was the first managing editor at a company called Upworthy, which used uh, viral media for social change. Um, I was one of the, or I was the uh, director of strategy at Slate, um, where I took some of those lessons around social change and really drove them back into uh, creating wider, more well-read audiences for uh, current events and news. And I've also run my own nonprofit where I taught uh, uh, multimedia journalism in conflict and developing regions um, to help people tell their own stories in a way where they could take back, take back their own narrative. So really my background has been driven solely by the idea of what captures people's imagination and how can you take Um, people's natural inclinations towards what they're interested in and turn that into social movements by capturing um, uh, both their imagination and their action. And there's a lot of different ways you can do that. And I've taken those lessons and uh, turned that into a business where I advise companies who are interested in uh, pursuing social change in their business model and their content um, to help scale their companies quickly through a lot of uh, creative, devious, and uh, well-thought-out methods. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, I mean, guys, content is a marketing tool when you do it right. Um, You know, and there is a lot of thought and strategy. So, you know, people like Victoria here, with your experience, um, you could save a lot of time into really shaping the right approach and strategy for the audience that you're trying to reach and the impact that you're trying to make. So, Victoria, um, you know, I, I, can you just, I'm I'm curious to know, um, some of the challenges you faced and I'll go, I'll give you two options, um, in content strategy development and hitting your goals at Huffington Post impact or upworthy. Um, now I guess those are two kind of like very different approaches and I'm curious on how they played out for you. Yeah. I mean, from a technical perspective, when I worked at Huffington Post, it was uh, highly focused on reaching people through uh, search um, and SEO optimized content, which is a really interesting way to approach social change and social impact, because oftentimes people don't realize they need to look for a way to make a change (laughs) or get involved. Um, And that's the whole point of starting a um, social action campaign that you try to inspire people to do that. Um, on the flip side of that, uh, Upworthy was focused on capturing people's social action and impact, uh, through social virality, um, where, you know, stories are just kind of popping up, um, in their feeds where they already live and then inspiring them to do something. But I think that, um, the measurement for both of those companies uh, was how many people took action and how many people's perceptions about an issue were changed. And what we found was that, uh, or what I found through working in both of those places is that the core tenets of what makes people uh, change their minds about things or take action on things that they wouldn't expect to um, really stays the same. And that's about uh, keeping it really personal and um, trying to find ways to tell stories that 
uh, not just build empathy, but also build compassion because empathy is about identifying with somebody else and compassion is about taking action because you feel so strongly about someone else's issue. So, um, yeah, those kinds of, uh, emotions really transfer no matter how you're promoting the content. Right. So now with finally your current, um, uh, business, I mean, the lessons you're taking over there are obviously extremely valuable as you consult. And I really want to get into storytelling, um, with you. And so how do you, just to kick that off, how do you define storytelling? That's a really good question because I think that the term storytelling, just like content, has changed a lot um, as the internet has changed. But I think that storytelling, in the way that I define it, is any kind of message that people can uh, take into themselves and uh, feel something when they um, when they read that message. So it can be an article, it can be a book, or it can be a great branding effort. Um, but uh, if it leaves someone with an idea after they've experienced that message, I think that's a story. If it's um, just an impression that they get that's easily forgotten, you haven't built the story to really um, uh, tell your audience what, what they need to know about you. So it's all about that lasting impression that you leave with them. I love that. And, and I like what you said about empathy and compassion um, and, and making it very personal. So if you were working with someone who had a business that was five years young or less um, and they needed to tell their brand story, where do you start in really trying to get down to the most important elements to tell that story? Well, I'm a person who loves measurement and patterns and numbers and evidence. <laughs> so I start at a very simple place, which is trying to understand uh, what that brand is trying to accomplish. Um, I, with every client that I work with, um, we start by trying to understand what their ultimate conversion is. And that conversion could be, you know, they want people to buy a product, but most brands have a, what you call a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I like to start there uh, with especially new companies to understand what their big, hairy, audacious goal is for their company and uh, who their ideal um, clients, customers, or audience would be um, to help them complete that big, hairy, audacious goal. Um, and then we work backwards to try to figure out uh, what those audience members need to do to be able to buy into the story of that big, hairy, audacious goal for themselves to feel like they're invested in it and that they can be a bright, cheering supporter and evangelist of that big, hairy, audacious goal. From there, then you can build a branding campaign that really uh, gets people emotionally invested. Um, but I think oftentimes with uh building a brand narrative and a brand story, you start really uh, self-reflexively talking about who you want to be instead of how you want to make people feel. So I always try to get people to focus on the ultimate way that they want their customers or their clients to feel and work backwards from there. So you mentioned who you want to be and how you want your audience to feel. So 
a lot of these brand stories, especially in the impact space, are you seeing them really stem from the founder or the founding team's personal frustrations, experiences, things that really are, you know, driving that personalization? I have seen that. And I think one thing that's really challenging about social impact is that many companies and many founders come to social impact as a driving force in their company through a personal experience that makes them realize that they have to do better. Um, but I think that that sense of doing better is an almost universal feeling that we all come to hopefully (laughs) at some point in their life, um, or in our lives. And so one of the things that, uh, that I love to challenge my clients with is not just yes, we can do better. Yes, your business can do better. But also, how are you going to differentiate yourself from everyone else who has also come to that personal realization that they need to do better? And how are you going to be additive to the um, ecosystem of social impact and to the ecosystem of your personal industry um, to be able to just not just make yourself feel better or um, have a small personal impact and how your business is run, but how people perceive an entire issue or industry. And I think that's something that, um, a lot of people forget when they get into social impact and they get really excited about it. Um, there are a lot of other people trying to do the same thing. And when you start thinking holistically about how you can get an audience and an industry and combine smarts of a lot of founders together, that's when you really start seeing magic happen. Um, so I always like to encourage people to think, uh, broadly and deeply about their impact. I love that. That's interesting. So, and you know, as you're working with some of these larger clients, um, and this might be a little different than if you were working with someone who's in the startup space and really shaping their brand narrative. Um, but you tell me, um, at what, what are some of the more common challenges you see that people have when it comes to, uh, strategic content production that continues to align to their mission. So they're not, I, I feel like it's easy to get diluted and go off in a ton of different directions because you want, you want more traction, more traffic. And you feel like, you know, oh, I got to cover more topics, but the message can get diluted. Um, so how, what, what do you see as challenges with companies that you work with? I think there are two main challenges. I think the first main challenge is that, um, When you're trying to create change, that's a really big thing to do. (laughs) And as you, as you said, uh, people can get overly excited and overly broad in what they're trying to do at a given time. And so the first thing that I see is even companies that are run incredibly well and thoughtfully as businesses tend to not always apply, uh, common, um, business practices or even, uh, uh, good, um, content marketing practices to messages around social impact, because it feels so important that you lose, um, some of that, uh, core structure that, that would be easy to apply in any other case. Um, and that's frustrating on a lot of levels. Like, I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of nonprofits, um, can be really dysfunctional because, uh, you're so passionate about the change that you want to make that, um, you lose sight of it being a business that has like clear functional goals that, um, that you can apply for success. So I think, uh, 
to sum that up, what I often see is that uh, big businesses tend to lose the successful focus that they have applied in other areas when they approach social change because it feels so much more important or so much bigger than the product or the brand-based message that they're typically working on. Mm, and, and how do you overcome that? <laughs> By just applying um, all of the same business principles and all the same smart content marketing principles that you would in any other um in any other industry, but this comes to the second part. Um, the second thing that I see, especially with large businesses is that, uh, people are so focused on making a change that they're not thinking about their company as being part of the change. And oftentimes, uh, I encourage business leaders to look back into how their own company is structured and run, um, and how their content is even being produced uh, to tell that story um, in a way that starts social change from within. So oftentimes we have uh, uh, clients who are really interested in creating messages around social change, but those messages don't ring true until everyone on uh, their team um, really understands the socially progressive ideals around what they're trying to promote, for example. Um, right. and that those, uh, ideals are held within the company too. So oftentimes when companies are making those changes to be more, um, compelling and thoughtful in the social change space, they have to do a lot more work internally to make sure that their company, um, fully supports that message from the inside out. Um, otherwise it just feels like cause washing, um, and their yeah. employees won't get behind that. Right, right. And neither will the consumers. I think that would kind of reflect, right, if it's not coming through from the, the team first. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think we've all been in a situation where we've worked somewhere and um, a boss has asked us to do a team building exercise when <laughs> when everyone in the company is having like a terrible time. And, you know, there, there's nothing worse than trying to get behind the idea of how great a company is if you're not feeling great about the company <laughs> <laughs> from the inside out. So yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of universal. But, but I definitely think that the more people believe that a company... Um, um, that their company uh, really does support uh, a mission um, from the inside out, that's when you actually see that translate into not just a great content marketing campaign, but the employees and the advocates and the evangelists of the brand and the sales team and everyone else who has to support that messaging, saying it in a real authentic way um, that gets that message across to people who don't know what's happening behind right. the scenes. Right. So, you know, when thinking and considering a smaller company that may be working with contractors, um, you know, they have a writer or two, they're not putting out a hundred articles a day. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I know you've built up departments and stuff like that. So what kind of advice would you share for their process when it comes to content production? Because it does take time, money, and it's just a lot of resource in order to do regular production. So how does one manage that, that level of resource suck, right? And also build traffic. Like what kind of, what kind of steps should they consider? I have a lot of answers to that, <laughs> um, which is probably why my business is doing well. But, um, 
one of the main things that I would say is, especially when you're building um, a business from scratch, I see a lot of people um, spend a lot of time trying to find um, contractors um, or employees who are a culture fit and spending a lot of time doing interviews with them as opposed to having them demonstrate work first. So the first thing that I would say um, in terms of just building the team itself is the most amount of time you're going to be spending, um, as a founder, um, of a company, um, as you're building it is in interviews and trying to understand if people are, are working for you. And I often see that time mismanaged by founders doing, you know, two, three, four, five interviews before they even have someone show proof of their work for them. Um, and so that's, that's the first thing, which sounds like a really simple thing to say, but, um, oftentimes I see, you know, founders doing several interviews and then asking people to fill out an application or a sample of work. And I definitely encourage people to flip that model to show work first. Um, secondly, um, the way that I really encourage people to build their company quickly is to understand not just the technical work that their employees need to demonstrate, but the fundamental ideals that they need to have to be part of a successful company. So I'll give you an example. A lot of the companies that I work with are remotely based um, because uh, remote growth management is one of the things that I happen to be an expert in. And um, if you're looking for an engineer or a writer or an editor or um, a salesperson, oftentimes you're asking people about how to prove those skills. But when you're running a remote company, what you also need to ensure is that those people are able to function remotely, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which seems again, obvious, but people often don't, um, consider, you know, uh, personal time management, um, the ability to solve your own technical issues, the ability to be detail oriented. Those three things are non-negotiable when you're working in a remote space because there's no one really to pick up your slack. Um, and those are things that often aren't tested or looked for until after someone is hired, which creates a lot of churn when you realize that maybe that person is a great salesperson, but they need to be around people all day and working remotely is just like killing them inside, you know? Right. Um, and so the first thing that I would say is, uh, in terms of building that team and growing quickly is making very careful hires based on the core qualities that you need to complete a job well in the environment that's given to you, not the environment that you want your company to be in five years. Um, you can constantly shift, um, and grow and hire people with that potential, but, uh, that's the big, uh, churning mistake I see made very often and try to help founders, uh, fix a lot of the time. And I think the second thing is, um, is to reevaluate what it means to you to have a successful company. Um, as you mentioned, a lot of companies start with contractors, um, but often don't identify success until they can count how many employees they have or how many offices they've opened yeah. or how many hours they've worked in a day. So going back to that big, hairy, audacious goal <laughs> <laughs> that founders 
have of what they want their company to be um, as they're creating that strategic plan for uh, how they want to build that company and what they want their company to accomplish. I think it's just as important to consider what they want out of that company because oftentimes I go down the road with founders to say, okay, if you want to be a multi-million dollar company with XYZ uh, um, uh, users on your site per month, you know, this is what it's going to take and it's going to take, you know, almost unlimited hard work and non-fun <laughs> yeah. unless you find that fun in your own way and you're a workaholic, right? There's a lot of hard work that goes into that. And oftentimes I find that those founders say, actually, I really just want to create this product or reach this goal um, that I'm really passionate about, but I also want to live a life that I'm really excited to live. And that is one of more flexibility and freedom. And yeah. so um, in in that situation, you know, I really like to push back on founders and say, okay, well, how can we build a company that's structured toward that personal freedom that you're looking for that also accomplishes that goal? That may change the timeline, the hiring structure. It may, t it may change actually what feels satisfactory with your goal or what your exit looks like. You know, all those things can change. Um, but I, I think that challenging the status quo of what it looks like to own a successful company um, is probably the first step in scaling smartly um, because scale is not always the goal, right? Having an impact is the goal, whether that impact is financial or social. Um, and understanding how you're measuring that impact and what's actually important to you is often something people don't realize until they hit their frustrated breaking point two or three years into their company. <laughs> right, so I encourage right. people to start with that. <laughs> So I, okay. So a lot of good things there and I, and I kind of want to piggyback. So you're talking about the growth of the team and, and making smart decisions on how you spend your time and, and get work uh, validation. Um, and then obviously the goals for what you're doing. Um, but I think one of the bigger struggles people try to, uh, that they have, especially in earlier, earlier phases is, well, you know, if we have limited marketing dollars, the content is such a powerful tool. And, you know, this is where your expertise is, this is these digital content strategies. Strategies. Um, how do you start thinking about the content, like the frequency, the production, um, as a traffic driver? Um, and there's a couple things, and I'll, I'll even personalize this with Change Creator that we've discussed with people. And you know, you have content that you could design based on keyword search that will give you potential sustainable growth by leveraging the you know um, Google platform, right? So you get that organic traffic over time, right? And that takes a while, but if you do enough of it, you can have reliable traffic. But then you also have ways of packaging up things, maybe throwing in a touch of humor um, and other types of things where you can get these viral um, spikes, which is not sustainable, but it could, if you get one or two a month, you might get a nice jumps in traffic and bring people into your website. So how do you look at content as a tool for traffic and wh where would you recommend people are spending their time and limited you know, money in order to get the most for what they're doing? That's a great question. Unfortunately, I don't think there's a one size fits all solution for that. Mm -hmm. But I do think that you can be really deliberate in terms of content funnels for what you want your audience to do. So for example, um, the first thing to consider is that whether you're uh, focusing on search or social, so search would be, you know, uh, that search driven, regular lo long tail traffic, as they call it, um, uh, going back to your site month after month and social tends to create those viral hits. Um, those bring in different kinds of audience members, uh, and depending on what your 
actual conversion is for your product, one kind of audience might be better than another. So for example, if you're trying to grow a huge audience to get people to uh, take action on a specific social impact goal, it might be better for you to pursue, um, a series of viral hits that drive people, um, instantly toward one or two cleverly designed pieces of content that are going to have them changing their minds about the issue that you care about right. as one example. As a completely different example, um, if your ultimate conversion is not awareness, let's say, um, it's uh, uh, product purchases, mm-hmm. um, you're going to want to build a lot of content that drives people uh, who are trying to solve the problem that your product solves to find you first. And that's generally a um, search-oriented campaign. So for example, for Change Creator, if you're creating uh, content that's very specifically solving problems around um, uh, business questions around creating change from how you manage a company's finances to how you think about what change actually is to is there a style guide for socially progressive um, you know, writing styles, <laughs> yeah. all of those things, all of those things are things that people might be looking up. Um, they probably are not just going to happen across that wall on Facebook. So I think that there's a real question there of conversion and building conversion funnels that really represent, um, the action that you want people to take that changes pretty, um, dramatically depending on what your company does. Uh, but what I would say is that, um, I think people often uh, discount um, the value of proprietary products, so things that are uh, um, keepable, we'll say. I, yeah. You could call it like books or downloadables or what have you, but these are things that people return to again and again. This is evergreen information that's more valuable than just an article that they can find anywhere. And I think that that's one thing that people get really confused when they're like, oh, should I do search or social? Like what, what I say is what's the fundamental thing that you can provide to your audience that they're not going to get anywhere else? Because the worst thing you can do is try to create a set of products, um, either for free or not for free that they could continue down their Googling chain and find somewhere else for free. Right. So, so the first thing that I recommend is always to figure out what your unique value proposition is, even if that's not your main, um, uh, uh, product, Um, you may have areas of expertise and things to offer your audience that are going to get them through the door. And some of that might be better suited for social or search. Um, And then the second thing that I would say is um, never discount the value of the community around you and what they can bring to you. Um, I think that in terms of great short-term growth, um, you know, this has been used well and frustratingly perhaps by a lot of, um, influencers, but, um, the fastest way you can start creating, um, an audience as you're just starting out is by gathering other people who believe in you and having them introduce their audiences to you. Um, and at the same time, share the smart things that they have to say. And I know change creator has done that. You've had some really awesome, um, uh, cover personalities and some great people backing you. So obviously, you know, that trick. Um, (laughs) but I think that it's not always a trick, right? Um, oftentimes you see people trying to build blogs and, you know, they're, uh, 
reaching out to a lot of other bloggers who happen to have a lot of, um, followers. And if you get really deep in it, you start gaming it by domain authority and all this other yeah. stuff. But I think at the end of the day, like what you're really looking to do as a new, um, publisher, if you're going to call it that as a new company creating content is to really consider what kind of ecosystem you want to build for the people who are coming to your site and who belongs in it and what they should know about that. So just as if you were sitting down with a friend and they were asking for your advice, you're not just going to say like, well, here's what I know. I mean, you would, but you would also say, also read this book by this really smart person right. and you should also talk to our other friend, Jack, who's really good about this. And you build a network around that, that makes you an even more valuable contributor, um, to the problem that they're trying to solve. Yeah. I mean, tons of, tons of great insights there. And I did, I do like how you talked about, um, you know, understanding where to use certain content based on your objective. So if you're selling a product and you have, you're solving a certain problem, you probably want to do some search marketing, build for the search environment because people are deliberately looking there and that's a little bit more of a serious thing. They're looking for a, 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 a solution. But if you're building up scale, building up an email list or whatever it might be, there might be, and I and correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I'm starting to really see social is they're not necessarily there to do research. They're there to mindlessly go through, see what catches their attention. And that's why like humor does really well on Instagram and it's very light and easy, but it's also a hook to just kind of start building up uh, uh, attention. And then obviously you can work them down the funnel to something more serious. Would you agree? I would absolutely agree with that. I mean, I think that you can always expect social to be a one and done audience. And when you um, bring them to your site, if you bring them to your site, because it's more and more common that social users actually don't leave the social handles that you're catching them on, um, that you have to give them something really compelling once they uh, land to your site or to your product, um, to keep them there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think that there's, there's a lot you can do with social audiences, but I think that a lot of people, um, feel like they just need followers. Um, and there's not a lot of definition yet of why <laughs> so I, I social like proof. press the why button, you know, it's like, like, well, they don't want to be, they don't want to be the restaurant that someone walks by and there's no one there. Totally. Totally. But you know what? Like there are a lot of pop-up restaurants that are open just once a week and they charge a lot of money and people buy for, uh, reservations seven months in advance. Like I grew up in LA. I know this happens. All the time, so. It's true. But it's true. It's your very value what you do and don't be afraid to have a business model that like there was another company, they started right out of the gates, uh, Victoria, with a $400 a year subscription. All their content was gated and they just got started. That's it. Journalistic content on tech information. And, you know, that's the way they saw themselves. That's the way they positioned themselves. And it worked. Yeah. And I mean, one thing that I would say there is like uh, the mode is not the silver bullet. I think that, uh, especially as someone who focuses on growth and company building and message building, um, I often have people come to me to say like, well, what platform should we publish on? You know, um, because that's gonna, that's gonna determine whether or not we're successful, but really the silver bullet is the unique offering that you have that no one else has. And that's where content becomes really important. And I'm sure that company that had, you know, the $400 subscription right out of the gate 
probably had a really unique value proposition that was worth paying four hundred dollars for for a market that you know needed that kind of business advice. I don't think you can do that same thing with um, content that perhaps is ready, readily available for free all over the place. Like people aren't going to pay for that. And that's the challenge, how to, how to differentiate your content and how to make it worth paying for and how you're going to get people there to pay for it. A hundred percent. No, I'm glad you actually brought that up because don't, don't misunderstand everybody. I mean, you can't just throw up a website, throw up a gate and people are going to pay for it. There has to be, the content has to become its own unique, um, you know, solution for people. So, you know, they, just to give you insight, they brought on some, a journalist from fortune wall street journal and right out of the gates, you know, spent a hundred thousand dollars to really produce unique, um, not only the content itself, but, um, also, um, reports, data, industry analysis, like stuff like that, that you just can't get anywhere else. So to your point earlier, it's that, I can't get this anywhere else. I own a business. I need these insights. So now you have this model that's creating an offer that they just can't refuse. Right. And, you know, one thing that I would just add to that, as you just mentioned, the kinds of products that they're offering, oftentimes uh, companies want to create content around uh, information that they're just pushing out to an audience. Um, But what's usually valuable for an audience is perspective and insight from someone who's an expert in whatever they're doing. So for example, those reporters, you know, they, they've probably spent years, um, in the financial industry analyzing things and perhaps they, in their old jobs, they weren't able to sort of give their secret tips from what they've learned because they're supposed to be impartial journalists (laughs) and perhaps, you know, those kinds of insights that usually you would just share one-on-one with a good friend of where to invest your money, that's worth it for a lot of people to invest in. So when people are considering their own content, um, I like to encourage them to think about not just the message they have to tell, but all of that shared expertise and insight that has been pulled together through an entire time in the career that they have been in in the past and, and what all the research that's come to bring them to this point where they're launching this business and, and how that becomes an actual value add, um, for their clientele. I love that. And I think that's a good note to end on. Share your expertise. People want to know the the challenges you face, how you overcome them, the successes you had and how you won them. Um, and, you know, like we all are teachers and students. I say it all the time. So we have something to share because anyone that just hasn't done what you've done, you're an expert to them and you can give them a hand up and a lesson uh, to teach. Absolutely. Love it. So Victoria, um, I mean, I could talk to you for hours and hours about content and strategy and what's going on in the social impact space. Um, You're a lot of fun to talk with, and I appreciate you just taking the time here today to share some of what you know with our audience. Adam, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. This was fun. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll talk again soon. And until next time. That's all for this episode. Your next step is to join the change creator revolution by downloading our interactive digital magazine app for premium content, exclusive interviews, and more ways to stay on top of your game. Available now on iTunes and Google Play or visit changecreatormag.com. We'll see you next time where money and meaning intersect right here at the Change Creator Podcast. Thank <laughs> you.